In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would be with us now as we just talk about the story of Lydia and what uh, her and her community mean to us. I pray, God, that your spirit would come and just begin to move among us in this place today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know what to call this sermon other than I'm going to talk about the church industrial complex and how we're not that. Uh, So that's a long title, but maybe it could just be the church industrial complex. I remember about 12 years ago, there was a gentleman named Sir Ken Robinson. And you may not recognize the name, but if you remember a few years back, there was this guy from England who went around giving a TED talk about how the industrial complex has impacted the educational system. And if if you have children in schools, I think that would be a concern to all of us that when we start treating kids as numbers and as cogs in the wheel of our academic excellence and all we do is teach them for a test, I feel like we miss the heart of what an education is really about. And his speech became really popular, it became viral. Uh, Everyone started sharing it because he hit on a nerve, and that is a lot of parents felt like their schools were treating their children as cogs in the wheel, and it was all about preparing them for a test. And, And specifically, here's what the schools seem to value, and I think we can all see how there's some truth in this. He said, schools put math and sciences first, and then after that comes the humanities, and then after the humanities comes the, the, the arts and the creative aspects. But they treat that as some sort of last placed category. And he said, this is not fair. This isn't actually even honest with our children because we have a lot of gifted children. And we, we need to start seeing the arts as just as important as every other aspect within the educational system. And so his speech became popular. Here's a quote from it. He said, our education system is predicated upon academic ability, and there's a reason. The whole system was invented for this reason. They all came into existence to meet the needs of industrialism. And I'll pause here from from the quote for a second just to point some things out. If you think about how we batch process students even where we get, get a class in, get them out, just keep them moving, right? A lot of times, passing along children who have no right to really move forward, but because we want to just keep the wheels spinning, we batch process these kids. And he's, he's talking about that. He, he says this is specifically due to industrialism and how it impacted our schools. And uh, he said this didn't even occur until around the 19th century. And now we have children who are just numbers, cogs in the wheel, of a larger industrial complex. I think we all know what it's like to be treated as a number. I don't know your stories that intimately, but I would imagine that many of us know what it's like to be treated as a file. You ever been to a doctor and and they don't even look at you, right? Now they're just staring at their computer, um, just making sure the data's right. And it doesn't feel good to be dehumanized. Doesn't feel good to be treated as just a number, as a cog. A test result, I wrote in my notes, a flake on their snowball of institutional success. To be industrialized is to be dehumanized. And the industrialization of our food is a good example of how this has hurt us. 
So right now, the EPA actually has to monitor toxicity levels coming from our farmers' fields because there's so many pesticides being sprayed on them that the EPA had to step in and actually monitor toxicity. That's what industrialization did to our food. Uh, here's another example, and I hate to go here with it, but I just want to offer you a scandalous idea that the church has been industrialized, that the church has fallen prey to the same lens that the rest of modern Western culture has fallen prey to, and that is the industrial complex. The Industrial Revolution has affected every sphere of our culture, and author Dan White has labeled it the church industrial complex. And here's the definition of the church industrial complex. The church industrial complex is when churches believe that their success and survival depend on collecting and consolidating more resources, programs, paid staff, property, and people in attendance, and they call that good. But I sometimes wonder if the church industrial complex has really done us a service or a disservice. Has it created Christians or has it created consumers of religious goods and services? I wonder. These institutions focus their energies on industrial formation rather than spiritual formation. I like you guys. <laughs> These institutions are more focused on attracting people to build their programs than forming people to build the kingdom. And I think there's a difference between attracting people to build programs and forming people to build kingdom. And I just want to make something very clear right now in this ragtag group of spiritual misfits that we have assembled today. I just want to point something out. What we're doing here is not about building a program. What we're doing here is about forming Christ in our hearts and in our lives until kingdom comes. Amen. I love that verse from Paul, until Christ be formed in you. That is the heart of spiritual formation. And a lot of the stuff that we do here, we are liturgical people. That means we're intentional about the language we have during service and we're intentional about the practices that we have in our worship gatherings because we believe that these practices have an impact over time. We sure as heck have been impacted by the other practices in our life, these liturgies that we see like the liturgy of the arena and the liturgy of the sports event and the liturgy of the mall and the liturgy. All of these places have liturgies. They have patterns and habits. The liturgy of Netflix, I don't know. <laughs> They all do something to us. But what we believe here is that when we gather together around the table, the Spirit does something within us when we're intentional, when we partner with the Spirit, the Spirit does something within us that makes us somehow different than when we first came. Yeah, that's the sacramental imagination. And for a Pentecostal boy, I, I did not expect myself to be here. But a lot of times that's the way God works. I, unfortunately, and I'm going to have a moment of transparency right now, but most of you guys know my story. I, unfortunately, had to leave a certain place, and I had to find God on the outside, on the margins of an institution. And it reminded me of a prayer that I read before, and it's a modification of the prayer that they pray at AA. You guys have heard the prayer, God, grant me the serenity 
so on and so forth. Here's a different version of it. God, grant me the serenity to abandon the institutions I cannot change, the courage to change the institutions I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm going to say that one more time. God, grant me the serenity to abandon the institutions I cannot change, the courage to change the institutions I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And when you pray that prayer, be careful. <laughs> what I am not saying that the church is going to end, I'll quote Dallas Willard, the church, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. But what we're seeing right now with the nuns and duns is that a lot of 501c3s are closing their doors. And people are finding each other in the margins. I believe that's our community. I believe this ragtag group of spiritual misfits is exactly like what we saw with Lydia and the women gathered around her leadership there in Philippi. These were people who could not gather in the city. They had to go outside of the colonialized mindset. And you read in Acts, that's the text I'm preaching from, you read in Acts that they had to leave the city and worship outside the city gates. And I can't imagine a better metaphor for y'all today. You are outside so many logic gates. You don't fit within the paradigm of many institutional mindsets. And because of that, we found rivers to gather near. In fact, three, the evangelical, the sacramental, and the Pentecostal. Paul is commissioned by God to spread the gospel. He has a vision. Uh-oh, this is going to get me into some trouble here, but it's all right. I shouldn't read my notes. So he has a vision that God is sending him to see a man. I just want to emphasize this. Paul has a vision, and in his vision, he's supposed to go meet up with a man, a man of Macedonia. But guess what happens? He shows up there. He doesn't find a man. He's probably thinking, I'm going to go meet a powerful man who's going to make it happen for the church. He's probably thinking, I'm going to go meet a man who's got connections and who's going to make it happen. And guess what? He does meet a person who has connections who has resources, but it's not a man. It's a woman named Lydia. I love the name Lydia. I wish I knew somebody named Lydia. He meets, he thinks he's going to go meet a man. He thinks he's going to go meet an empowered man. But instead of a man, he sees this woman named Lydia. There's a couple of things you can draw from this. And I, I want you to say a big amen if this clicks. There's a big difference between what you see versus where God leads you. And the way you imagined your life, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but my guess would be the way you imagined your life compared to where you're at now is a lot different. You thought you were going to go see a man, it's a woman instead. But here's another lesson there. I think we would all do well to wonder, I'm going to say, it, would this group of Jewish men who used to wake up every morning, the Jewish prayer that men would pray to start their day. God, I thank you that I am not a slave. God, I, you've heard me say this prayer before. And how did they finish it? God, I thank you that I am not a woman. And I sometimes wonder, would Paul and his group of men ever left for Philippi had the vision been of a woman? So sometimes I think God had to kind of like put a little, what's that move called in football when you? I think he juked Paul. I think that's what he did. I think he gave him a vision of a man because he knew that this group of Jewish men, converted of course, but this group of Jewish men who are still unlearning their chauvinistic tendencies, I think he had to give him a vision of a man to get him to move on it. 
But when he finally arrives, he doesn't see a man. He doesn't find a man. He finds a woman. And this is exactly what ministry is like. I believe in the vocational call of all believers, the priesthood of all believers. That means that you have a ministry that God has called you to. But here's a lesson from this text for your ministry. And it's just an important lesson that you have to keep with you. How you saw it in your head, it's not necessarily what God's going to lead you to. I thought I was going to be the next Stephen Furtick. I mean, I don't have the physique of Stephen Furtick. He lifts every day. And I may not have like the weird personality of a Stephen Furtick, but I thought I would be this sort of, we were building a, a work there. There, you, you know my former context, right? And I thought it was going to be all about, you know, let's get some intelligent lights up in here. Let's get the screens going. Instead, God has given me stained glass windows and Spanish stucco. But I still want to offer this for you. What makes a place holy is intentionality. And in this space, this sacred, consecrated space where generations have worshipped for over 150 years, you can find things that let the light shine in. And before I was really trying to evoke a synthetic sense of atmosphere, projectors and DMX lighting and sound systems and Oh, let's just, let's just build it, a field of dreams. If we build it, they will come. But instead, I had to awaken to the reality, help me, Holy Ghost, that God does not want to build programs. He wants to build people. And if you have to rely on DMX, there's a good chance you're just building programs and not people. And so, Lord, thank you for stained glass windows. And I do love this cross. And actually, there's a beautiful story behind this Jesus. He was made by a parishioner here and the whole ch church voted on this. But I just want to offer you something. This place is holy because of the intentionality behind it. Let me give you one small example. You'll notice that the lectern is not in the middle because we don't put preaching at the center. We put the table at the center. This isn't about a cult of personality. This isn't about an icon church. This is about God calling all people as equals to the table. And so everything that we do is, is, is intentional, right? We want to be intentional with our liturgy. i got to make my way out of here. So Paul finds his core. Spiritual misfits, outsiders, meaning outside the gate. Richard Lander, this is a quote in your, in your bulletin. He said, Paul went looking for the place of prayer outside the city gate. On this cultural frontier, the only audience they found that day was outside the gate. And so outside, hear the language here, outside the establishment, the institution, the industry, the colony. Long before any organized church structure took shape, believers gathered and God's Spirit moved them, taking them far from the established patterns of their former religious life. There was no synagogue in Philippi. You know the reason why? First of all, Philippi was a Roman colony, but here's another point. Notice how when Luke writes Acts, he wants us to realize that this is a group of mostly women, if not all women. Did you know that these wonderful converts to Judaism who were seeking God and the things of God, these wonderful women could not have had a synagogue even if they wanted to because it took 10 adult Jewish males to constitute an official synagogue quorum. And I love the fact that the Spirit says you can have your institutions. God, grant me the serenity. Ugh. I love the fact that the Spirit says you can have that, 
What I'm doing instead is I'm going to meet a group of wonderful, God-fearing, spirit-led women meeting by the river. Not in a van, but they're still by the river. (laughs) And God brings them together. And then, not only that, they're seeking God, but all the while, God is seeking them. That's why I have a hard time making these distinctions between Arminianism and Calvinism. Let me tell you something. God seeks you and you seek God, and somewhere in the middle, the Spirit moves. And God finds them by the river, and it's not a megachurch, it's a microchurch. And that's the language that Diane and I were talking about earlier this week. We are a microchurch, and we own it. We want that. Not trying to be mega, because we don't necessarily put a lot of chips in the church industrial complex. We would rather see... Not butts in the seats, but names in the heart. And I love the fact that when we, for example, when we take communion, and and I am not good with my memory. I I am horrible at memorizing things. Sometimes I look at my children even. No, never. Never. I know their names. But I want to emphasize that this is about spiritual formation, building people to build the kingdom and not necessarily building the program. He finds the micro church by the river, these marginalized people, these women who were hungry for God, even though the culture considered them insignificant, except for Lydia because she had a lot of money. He didn't find a big box church. He didn't find a political power hungry institution. He did not find the mile wide, inch deep, mega lights, camera action church. He didn't find Starbucks and skinny jeans. He found intentionality. He found within Lydia and her group decisive women who knew the balance between work and worship. They were, Lydia at least, was Mary and Martha all in one. The balance between work and worship, that's what I mean. You got Martha all about work. You got Mary all about worship. Lydia's the Prototype. I read one commentary who said, Lydia is the prototype for all spirituality within women. And I took that commentary and I drew a line right through women. And I said, she's not only the prototype for spirituality with Christian women, she's the prototype for Christian spirituality, period. Yeah. Not just women. And she's by the river with her ecclesia, her gathering, and they're hungry and they're eager. They were not tricked and targeted into being worshipers. They weren't marketed to, swayed with church advertisement and programming, the things that we find within the church industrial complex. These were intentional liturgists, and I mean that word very literally, because liturgy simply means public worship, the work of the people. Leotos, public, ergos, ergonomics, work. They didn't gather around consumeristic religious tendencies to consume what was being dispensed by religious goods and services. They were not cogs in the wheels of the church industrial complex. They gathered around shared values and practices. And Paul, led by the Spirit, finds this group of misfits who worship outside the colonialized mind, outside the logic gates of Philippi. Paul finds this group who had no interest in passive consumption of quasi-spiritual bread and circus. But instead, he finds a group of women who were actively seeking God in a life rooted in prayer, gathering together, and the whole time they're seeking God, God is also seeking them. Holy longing, holy discovery. Remember that. 
If you have a holy longing, you'll make a holy discovery in your life. So for us, may we long for a homegrown Christianity. Or if you're a trip fuller, a homebrew. May we long for a spirit-led, organic organism and not an industrialized organization. May we long for God in his raw form. God as creator who comes into our spaces, seeks us out, finds a group of misfits by a stream. And I want to encourage you. Here we are today. Another group of spiritual misfits gathered around the streams of evangelical, sacramental, and Pentecostal thought. And maybe, just maybe, God will still discover us and make us into the church he, he desires the church to be. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. If you feel inclined to give, you can do so by visiting thesacredcommons.com. Click on give. Every single cent has an immediate impact. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.